0: Well, good morning, everybody. I just want to uh, take a moment just to thank um, Jared for that amazing video that played before the monologue, and racer I don't know where she is right now, for that monologue. I thought that they did a phenomenal job. And um, to the worship team, uh, guys have been playing all week, and uh, it's just amazing that you still have so much to give, so thank you. Um, so this morning, we are remembering Good Friday, and... Um, before I read from uh, Luke chapter 23 and 24, I'd like us to pray. Father, thank you so much that the reason we get to get together today and to remember is because of your sacrifice. We love you. We don't want to take you for granted. We want to learn what you have for us to learn. We want I pray, God, that you will minister to each person in the place where they need it. That we will hear you, speak to us individually. That we will honor you in everything we do as we remember how much you love us by your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So before I get into the message, I'd just like to take this time to read Luke chapter uh, chapter 23 from verse 44. And then we're going to hop over into chapter 24. So if you can follow along with me on the screens. The death of Jesus. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that had come to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish High Council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of um, Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the woman from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. And we jump over to Luke 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed uh, with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking um, among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. I think it's so important that we actually look at, that, at, at those scriptures on Good Friday, and we actually take in what we're being told there. First of all, Jesus um, is being crucified, and it goes dark in the middle of the day, and the curtain is torn from top to bottom, or bottom to top, top to bottom. Okay, so I'm just checking myself because my brain's all over the place. Then the Roman officer who wasn't even a believer in God sees what what this is actually all about, that this man was innocent and that there was something about him. Then he gets taken by um, another religious leader who had been seeing that there was something about Jesus, and he gets put into his tomb. And you know, even all of this is happening, and Jesus' followers must have been so distressed the woman wanted to give Jesus a proper burial and take the spices and the perfume to, to uh, take care of his body in the proper way. But they still had to follow the law. Sabbath, sunrise, sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. They couldn't do anything. So they waited. When they go to the tomb, they get there and his body is gone. But isn't it amazing how... Jesus couldn't have made any of this happen. They, they had to wait for Sabbath to pass before they could go, before they could see that he had actually been raised to life. They had to experience that. And so, focusing on the empty tomb, our theme for this Easter weekend is the beautiful empty And so when I say those words to you, for a lot of us, we might think that sounds like an oxymoron, the beautiful empty. That doesn't make sense. How can something empty be beautiful? When we think of anything beautiful, we think of it as having substance, right? Like we don't think of something empty as having substance because it doesn't. It doesn't have any substance. What is beautiful about an empty home or an empty garden or an empty art gallery Okay? What is empty? What is beautiful about an empty plate? What makes it beautiful is what you're expecting to be on that plate. Okay? There is nothing beautiful. This world that we live in sees empty as a negative thing. I've got an empty stomach. I've got an empty bank account. I've got an empty a fridge. I've got an empty petrol tank. When you think about those things, empty, there's no substance to it. It has no value because it is empty. So empty is the absence of anything. If I gave you a voucher for your birthday and it had no money on it, you would question my sanity, right? You would say, well, it's empty. Why are you giving me an empty voucher, all right? Empty is nothingness, boring, incomplete, hollow. What is beautiful about empty? Now thinking about Easter and um, uh, in this week we've been preparing for all of the Easter games that's going to happen on Sunday and um, we, uh, Tammy went and bought a whole lot of, of Easter eggs. Now I don't know if any of you do Easter egg hunts with your kids where you use these plastic Easter eggs that you can put something different into. So, not just sweets or chocolates, but you can put uh, toys, money. Who doesn't like some money? Okay? You can put into an Easter egg like this. Now, it's great having Tammy on staff who has three young children, because she told me you can buy an Easter egg this size with a toy in it at a crazy store. Otherwise, it would have been one of those little ones. So, when I saw it yesterday, I was like, wow, they're really big. That's great. So, I can use this as my object lesson. And um, when we um, think about um, Easter eggs and bunnies, we kind of go, I wonder who came up with that to celebrate Easter. But the more I thought about it, I thought, well, I actually don't care because it doesn't bother me. I understand the meaning of Easter. And so let's be honest, there's something magical about watching your young kids go on an Easter egg hunt. Okay, I mean, I remember when our girls were little, and the very—I mean, I think Maddie was like not even two, and, and Taylor would have been five, and just—it doesn't matter how small or insignificant that Easter egg was, they were so excited to find it. So there's something magical about about um, Easter and about finding an Easter egg. Now, if you do Easter egg hunts with these, um, sometimes what might happen is if you want to do a lot, you put a lot of Easter uh, of these out, and um, one egg might be found that has nothing in it, you know, that is completely empty. And what do you think your kids are going to do when they find an Easter egg that's empty? Right? They're going to chuck it down. They're not going to care about, what, uh, about that egg. But maybe an empty egg that I just showed you is a better symbol for Easter than a full one and it could even be a great teaching point when you do Easter egg hunts with your kids, have one empty Easter egg and explain to them why an empty egg is actually a great symbol for Easter. Now, talking about the empty tomb, and the the empty egg, um, let's take the very first Easter morning. Almost 2000 years later, we have the privilege of hindsight, right? We have the privilege of knowing how the story turned out. We can read the Bible. We can listen to sermons. We can have discussions. We have the privilege of hindsight. But let's think about the disciples on that morning. All right? They've gone from Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey with palm leaves and coats being thrown in front of him, with everyone shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, God save us, To all of a sudden, Jesus being arrested, beaten, and crucified. They must have been completely distressed. They would have had no clue as to what was going on. What is happening? This is not what they, you know, what they pictured. This is not what how how things were meant to be. Um, Jesus is meant to be the fulfillment of a promise. There's prophecies, he's meant to be our Messiah, he's meant to be our Savior, but the disciples and the followers of Jesus were left empty, like that empty egg, they were left hollow, not knowing, not understanding what was happening. As we read in Luke earlier, Jesus' body is taken to the tomb, and the woman... um, who were followers of Jesus? They, they, they had prepared the spices. They've gone to the tomb. They want to give Jesus um, a proper burial. They had to wait. So they go down there, um, Mary Magdalene and the other woman. And when they get to the tomb, they go inside. And what do they see? Empty. So they've just gone from watching Jesus be arrested, beaten, crucified. And now they can't even honor him by giving him a proper burial. It's empty. They run back to the disciples. John and Peter come running back. They walk into the tomb. And what do they see? It's empty. Imagine the confusion because they didn't have hindsight. Imagine what they must have been asking themselves. How is this possible? What is happening? Where is his body? And as I mentioned earlier, empty is such a negative word in this world. My stomach is empty. You know, the fridge is empty. Empty feels like such disappointment. And on that Easter morning, nobody would have understood the disappointment of empty more than Jesus' disciples and followers. Nobody would have understood it more. Empty dashed promises. Where is our Messiah? Where is our Savior? Where is His body? I don't know if anyone of you have gone through life or gone through a situation in life where you just feel empty, completely empty. That's how they felt that day. They believed that he was going to be their savior. They believed he was the Messiah. And now they've got empty hearts and they've got empty hope. Anyone ever had empty hope? I can remember many times experiencing empty hope. It's a Horrible, horrible feeling. But empty at Easter time is different. We have the empty cross, we have the empty tomb, and we have the empty clothes. When the world says that empty is negative, God says that an empty Easter is beautiful. How is that possible, right? It doesn't make sense to our human understanding. How can empty be beautiful? And that's why when we take words like that that actually don't make sense and we look at the empty tomb and we look at the empty cross and we have to then go to scripture to try and understand what that means. Why is the empty tomb so important to us? And I wanna leave you with this interesting statement. It should also be on the screen. It says, the way to be full is to be empty. The way to be full is to be empty. And we're going to look at Galatians 2, verse 20. And uh, it says that my old self has been crucified with Christ. This is Paul. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there's two things I want to focus on this morning that I want to encourage you with. The first one is that a beautiful empty life has been crucified with Christ. A beautiful empty life has been crucified with Christ. How have we been crucified with Christ? Okay? He's the one who hung on the cross. He's the one that took the sin and shame of the world. He's the one that that had his body beaten and that shed his blood. How are we crucified? with Christ God looks at us as if we died with Jesus so when we accept Jesus as our lord and savior when we start a relationship with him God looks at us as if we are the ones who died with Jesus that day that's how we are crucified with Christ because our sins died with him do you know what happens we no longer condemned we no longer found guilty I think that that promise in itself is amazing. And just as Jesus hung on the cross physically and died for us physically, our lives, our desires, our sinful interests, our self-righteousness, my own will, my own desires, all of that has been crucified right alongside Jesus. If I give my life to him and I'm crucified as Galatians says with Christ then that means that I'm giving all of that all my old life to Jesus and I'm allowing it to be crucified on the cross with him. What Paul is saying, I believe in this in this Galatians verse is that I'm done with my old life. I'm done I want to give all of that over to Jesus. I'm done with that stuff. I'm done with my old life. Our Christian life begins when we die to our old life. That's when our Christian life begins. Colossians 2 verse 13 to 14 says that you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. All right? So you were dead because of your sins. What does that mean? We were separated from God. Our sins separated us from God. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And so in our daily life, what we need to do regularly is to crucify our sinful nature, our sinful desires, the things that We want that we know do not line up with God. We need to crucify those daily. So in a sense, we actually are like dying with Jesus every day if we intentionally try to deal with the things that we know are desires from our old life, the sinful nature. Now, um, I'm I'm telling you to, to crucify you know, yourself with, with Jesus every day, and then you might think, but isn't Christianity about living? It's not about dying, it's about living. And yes, it is. But because we've crucified our old life with Jesus, we've also been raised in him because Jesus did not stay dead. He was raised to life. And so when I'm talking about crucifying yourself, dying, you know, taking your old life and dying to that, It means that when you do that, then Jesus can actually raise you up with him. He can actually empower you. He actually resurrects you to live the life that he has called you to. We have Christ's resurrection power as we continue to fight sin. We are no longer alone because he lives in us. And the power that he has given us by by his resurrection continues to help us live the way that he wants us to and gives us a hope for a future. When your old life is crucified and when we die to ourselves, do you know, God now has room to do something supernatural in us. Now he can work in and through us. And I think it's really possible to have, um, for for empty to be beautiful, okay? Okay. Because empty allows something to be filled. If I'm holding on to something, if, if my hand is not empty, I'm holding on to a past relationship. I'm holding on to unforgiveness. I'm holding on to an offense. But God keeps saying to me, I want to give you something better. I can't take it until I let go, until my hand is empty so that I can take what he has for me, which I promise you is always better, always better. We need to remove every obstacle that blocks our heart. So I want to give you this picture. When you think about the tomb, when the woman got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. That's the promise, right? Right there, the tomb is empty. When we give our lives to Jesus, we have a stone in our in front of our hearts or in our hearts, however you want to picture it. When we give our lives to Jesus, that stone is rolled away. But what a lot of us do is we accept the sacrifice, the stone being Jesus dying on the cross for us. But what we don't do is we don't walk out of the tomb. We stay in the tomb. We stay in the offense, we stay in the unforgiveness, we stay in our sinful desires, we stay in the blockages that, are, that stops Jesus from coming in and completely fulf- uh, fulfilling our lives. So that stone is rolled away. Let me tell you, Jesus isn't going back and changing that. He's not rewinding the movie He's done it. He's paid the ultimate price. He has nailed our sins to the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He was raised to life. Now the tomb is open and you have to walk out in the freedom that Jesus bought for you. In the freedom that he bought for you. That is what he wants you to do. And the second thing that I want to encourage you with this morning is that a beautiful, empty life enjoys the life of Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? In Galatians, Paul says, but Christ lives in me. So he says that um, he's been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. There's a song that we're going to sing in a moment uh, when we do communion, the resurrecting, and the words, um, they refer to the resurrected king is resurrecting me. In other words, he just wants to keep resurrecting you out of your old life, out of your sinful nature, out of the desires that are not lined up with his, and and we have that available to us. Now, it's not like we are never going to sin again, right? Because we're human, we're not Jesus, we're not God, we, we are going to sin, but it's not It's not about not sinning anymore. It's about surrendering to God. It's not about being sinless. It's that Christians Christians should sin less. We should sin less. We can never be sinless, but we can definitely do whatever we can to sin less by the resurrected power that lives inside of us. And when we have this revelation that Jesus has taken our sin, that he's nailed it to the cross, that we can walk out of the tomb, that we have resurrection power, the desires that we have start changing to the desires that God has for us. And a lot of people will say to me, but what if they are desires that I don't like? What if they are desires that I don't want? Do you think that God would do that to us? His desires that become our desires become desires that we want. We actually want that life that He's promised us. We actually desire to live a holy life, to live a righteous life. We start changing. We don't stay the same. And I love that. And you know, a very important question to ask yourself on this Easter weekend is, Jesus is, his sacrifice, he died for us, and maybe you all accept him as your savior, but do you accept him as the Lord of your life? Because there's a difference. We can, you know what, you can give your heart to Jesus and he becomes your savior, but you can still go on living in the tomb, not living in the freedom, living in your sinful desires, not giving those things up. When he becomes your savior, he also has to become your Lord. I hope this is helping. Christ living in me means that God's love for me has become personal. It's not just something I know, it's something I experience. It's become personal. And you know, the world gives us promises full of emptiness. Because everything we gain in the world we cannot take with us to eternity. But God gives us emptiness full of promise. The world gives us promises full of emptiness. God gives us emptiness full of promise. Think about creation for a moment, right? God hung the stars on nothing, it was empty. When God created the universe, He created it from nothing. God specializes in emptiness. When he created the world, he took nothing and he made something. So if you empty yourself today, God will put something in you. He will take that emptiness and he will fill it with everything that he has for you. But you have to be willing to be emptied in order to receive what he has for you. Think about when Jesus fed the 5,000. He specializes in emptiness. He fed 5,000 empty stomachs. He took something that seemed impossible, and he created, and he he caused the miracle to take place, but people had to know that they were empty. It's like you have to acknowledge that you need Jesus to fill those spaces. What about the wine? When Jesus was was at the wedding in Cana, Right? He took empty containers and he filled it with wine. He created something fulfilling and he used emptiness to do it. We serve an amazing God who specializes in emptiness. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you feel empty? Or do you not feel empty enough? Are there things in your life that you need to crucify? are there things that you need to let go of? Only you know that. I know the things in my life that as as I was preparing this message, I prayed them out loud. Honestly, I did. I was like, God, I want to crucify that in my life. I want to crucify this in my life because I want Jesus to fill every part of my heart, not just the bits and pieces that I'm willing to give him, but I won't know what those bits and pieces are that I'm not willing to give him unless I sit down and have a conversation with him and say, God, I need you to show me what I need to crucify. What am I not giving over to you? Because you know what happens when life change happens at the meeting of an empty heart and an empty tomb? That's when life change happens. what would it look like for you to start unblocking your heart? What would it look like for you to take those first steps out of the tomb? Ask yourself those questions, because my desire is for everyone who calls this church home, is for us to be able to to encourage you and teach you and inspire you to get to a place where you are fully in God's presence, where you are fully living a life that he surrendered to him so that you can fully experience everything he has for you. We prayed so much this week for this weekend and all we pray for is you guys because we want you to experience, I want to experience everything Jesus has for me. When I'm tired, when I'm down, when I'm unwell, it's a lot more difficult but that's why we have family, who can pray for us, who can encourage us, who can be there for us, and so will you allow Jesus to come into your emptiness. And so, what we're going to do now is we're going to go into communion, and as